0: Join the guild and secure your ticket to Scott's sale at the best possible price by visiting MaxLawEvents.com. In today's episode, we're sharing a presentation from MaxLawCon 2021. Keep listening to hear Marco Brown as we share his talk, Your Number One Job, Get Paid. You can also head to the Maximum Lawyer YouTube channel to watch the full video. Now, to the episode. Run your law firm the right way. The right way. This is... Maximum lawyer, podcast. Maximum lawyer Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show.
1: First things first, thank you for being here. Thank you for taking the time to do this, to come here, to spend the money, to spend the time, to invest in yourself and uh, make your law firm better. Almost no attorneys in the United States do anything like this. So you're literally like the top 1%, 0.1%. So, you know, that is fantastic. So my presentation today is going to be about the number one change that I made that has transformed my life, my family, and my law firm. So I started my law firm in 2010 and I did everything wrong. And, uh, the first Five years, I was isolated. I grinded out every day. I remember I worked you know, eighty plus hours a week. I would work a job on the weekends, and I would work the law firm during the day because I had absolutely no clients. I come to a new state. I had abs- I just had nothing. So I just grinded out, and that was uh, that was really painful. But in two thousand fifteen, I had found some measure of success. I had won some awards for my work as a divorce attorney, but I was deeply, deeply dysfunctional at that point. My spirit was not good. My, my body and my health were not good. My relationships were not good. I knew I needed to change some things when I was given a gift. And the gift, funny enough, was to see my own death. In my mind's eye, I saw my death if I stayed on this path and I was going to die when I was about 60 or 65 from uh, a heart attack. It was induced by stress. And I didn't want to do that. I had, I had one little kid, and I didn't really want to do that to him, and I didn't want to do that to my wife. So I made a change. And the first thing I changed was I decided to get paid 100% for the work I did because I was already doing the work. So I figured, why, why not do that? And that one change has been absolutely phenomenal in, phenomenal in my life. In 2015, I was $500,000 in debt. Now I, I have multiple millions of dollars in net worth. My law firm was one person, me at that point, one attorney. Now I have eight. I've reclaimed time with my family, I've reclaimed my health, my spirit, my body, all of these things. And that is why I'm here to talk to you. So let's go over the stats a little bit and then we're going to talk about the rules for getting paid. So statistics, and you actually have a piece of paper with all this stuff on here because I'm a Luddite essentially. So. The Clio Trends Report is this amazing trove of information, behavioral data, anonymized, the whole bit for American attorneys, tens of thousands of them. Okay. What they find is telling. The average American attorney works eight hours a day. The average American attorney bills 2.5 hours a day of those eight hours. The amount of time from the build time, the amount of time that actually gets in the invoice is 2.1 hours. And then the amount of time, finally, that is collected off those eight hours is 1.8 hours, 23%. Okay, that's actually a typo in there. It's 23%. And this is fairly stable over time. I've looked at this data since 2015. In 2015, it was 1.6 hours. It'll go to 1.7. It goes to 1.8. And maybe, maybe in like 100 years, it'll be like three, right? But this is very consistent data. Then LegalZoom had some data as well on the average American attorney. So average American attorney, 56% are solos. They have revenues of $78,000 per year and profits of $63,000 a year. So they make $63,000 a year. Okay, and they bill 392 hours a year. So 1.6 hours, which is a little bit lower than the Clio data, but it's in kind of that, that same range. Then the amount of time to actually get paid for the work an attorney does. So from the time an attorney does work until the attorney bills for that work is 87 days. Then the time, From when the invoice goes out to the client until it's paid is an additional 83 days. 170 days from the day the attorney does the work until the attorney gets paid. Okay. So why am I talking about this data? I'm talking about it because you're not alone. Okay. My entire point here is to talk to those people that were in that situation. I was. You're just, you're in the trenches. You're working in your law firm. You're, you're just doing too much. You feel burnt. Uh, You're working for people that you don't really like a lot of times and that don't really like you, right? I was there. That's what we're talking about today. So that's the data. So let's move on to the rules. And the first rule is change your mind about money and about getting paid. So attorneys, when we are young and impressionable and getting taught about these things, we are taught by two different groups about money. The first group we're taught by or law professors. And they tell you things. I remember being told this in law school. Your number one job as an attorney is to do good. I don't even know what that means, to be honest with you. But that's what they told you, right? Because they didn't have any idea what being a lawyer was like. So they told you those sorts of things. And then you graduate, and your reward for graduating from law school is you actually get to become an attorney, right? So at that point, the Bar Association takes over, and the Bar Association tells you just to give away your stuff for free, right? That's what they do. So the problem with this is kind of twofold. One, these are bureaucrats, for all intents and purposes, telling you what to do. Well, bureaucrats don't have to sell stuff. They don't have to pay mortgages. I mean, they, they do have to pay mortgages, but they can do really exceedingly bad work and still pay their mortgage, right? They barely have to do anything to make their nut. So, but we can't do that. You cannot do that. And the other thing is the advice is just completely and totally wrong, okay? Your duty as an attorney is not to do good or whatever that is. Your duty is to get paid. Your duty is to take care of your family. Your duty is to take care of your team. Okay? And it is actually unethical to get paid less than 100% for the work you do. Okay? And here's the logic of this. We have a really simple contract with our clients. A contract is, I'm your attorney and I'm going to do excellent work for you. And we should do excellent work for our clients. We should be very good at what we do. Then on the other side that our client's duty is to pay us 100% for that work. Now, you as an attorney allow your clients to pay less than 100%, but you would never think of doing that if you thought about it this way. Getting paid less than 100% is simply your client stealing from you, but not just stealing from you. Your client is then stealing from your child, your client is stealing from your paralegal, your client is stealing from your secretary and their families. You would never allow your client to come in and take money from you or pick your pocket or pick your paralegal's pocket. But that is what you do every day when you don't get paid 100%. It is unethical. It is unthinkable. Stop doing it. Get paid. Change your mind. Okay, then we have rule number two, which is bill regularly at least once a month. So we learned, you know, we, we heard about that data for getting paid. Once you get past about 60 days, like it's actually really hard to get paid on these invoices. So you have to bill at least once a month. And you can bill more than once a month if you want to. You bill twice a month. I have a very good friend that bills literally every Monday morning. She runs cards every Monday morning. I did that for a month in my law firm, and people almost quit. Like It just did not work at all. Uh, so I bill once a month. So I, the way I do it is I get up at 4 a.m., and I bill everything and it's done by the time I get into the office and then everything goes out after that. So, but that's the commitment I have to make is I have to bill once a month. Okay. And that's what you have to do. You have to decide when this is going to happen and then get it done and get it out. If you don't, you're just not going to get paid, right? You're going you're to send an invoice that's two, three months and your clients are going to re- get really mad and they're not going to pay you. And then oddly enough, they're also much more likely to give you bad Google reviews, because if you end a case, you fire a client, or you end a case and they owe you money and you're hounding them for cash after that, uh, they're much more likely to give you a one-star Google review. So get paid, bill regularly. Three, do not chase money. Money is a powerful, powerful motivator, perhaps the, the, the most effective motivator for, for humans in a general sense. It's also a powerful deluder, okay? Uh, it deludes us into doing things that we really shouldn't do. So examples of chasing money, taking cases that aren't in your wheelhouse because you think you need money, discounting your hourly rate, discounting your, your retainer, doing you know, a favor for a friend of a friend. And then the ultimate is not listening to your gut. You know, when you, when you have your gut tell you that you should not take this case and you think, ah, it'll be okay. Dude, it's never okay. Like it's not going to be different this time. You're going to get screwed on that case. Listen to your gut. But, you know, this is it. You know, this is all chasing money behavior. And If you chase money, you're gonna lose money on that case, and you're gonna hate that case, and hate that client. So, don't chase money. Four, keep money in trust. Okay, this is the way normal attorneys bill. This is what, how they, how they treat their retainers. So they take a retainer, that says $5,000, and then they get down to zero, and then they get in the negative, and then they get back up to zero, and then the negative back, back up to zero and the negative. It's a terrible way to do it. Do not do this. Your relationship with your client changes fundamentally when they get into the negative because you are no longer their attorney, you are their banker. Nobody likes their banker. I mean, our clients barely like us, right? They certainly don't like us when we're their banker. So what you need to do is you need to keep money in trust at all times. And this is how you figure out how much money you should have in trust because that's always that's always the question. Most attorneys just kind of make it up. You know, they talk to other attorneys and they do it. But this is how you're supposed to. You should really do it. Think about this, your worst month as an attorney in a case costs how much, right? Like, like 100% worst month where everything goes wrong. Ideally, you want that much in your retainer, but sometimes that's a little high, right? So for us, that'd be like ten, dollars maybe $12,000 if everything goes wrong. That's just too high. So what you do is you back that off to like your 95th percent worst month, okay? And that number is going to be much, much lower. So some things go wrong, but not everything, right? and you, you sit down and you figure out what that is, that becomes your retainer, okay? Of course, to do this, you actually need to know your numbers. So you need to sit down, get organized, figure out your numbers, set your retainer, and then it needs to stay at that level, not get down below zero. It needs to stay at that level, whatever it is, okay? So rule number five, if your client doesn't pay you or doesn't have money in trust, stop work, stop Not right now, stop, okay? This is maybe the hardest one. If they're not paying you, you know, there has to be a clear trigger to figure that out. And in our office, the clear trigger is on the 21st, we run all the credit cards. If the credit card is declined, then we stop work, okay? You have to have a communication system in order to talk to your clients to tell them that the work has stopped, okay? So we send out emails, we're going to stop work, pay us, we'll get back on the case, right? It's a little nicer than that, but that's pretty much what it is. And then you have to have an internal communication system to talk with your attorneys and your staff and tell them to stop work. But you need to stop. What we found is that when we do this, we usually get paid within about 48 hours. Maybe they need to go get a new credit card or, you know, it expired or whatever it is, but we get paid within about 48 hours. And you need to set a system up to do this. And some, there has to be one person in charge of the system. That person cannot be an attorney because attorneys are terrible at this. So hire somebody to do this. And collections is that person's number one job. So if it's your paralegal, then your paralegal's number one job becomes collections and then he or she can be a paralegal kind of on the side, but this has to be the number one job. Running your own practice can be scary. Whether you're worried about where the next case will come from, feeling like you're losing control over your growing firm or frustrated from being out of touch with everyone working under your license, the stress can be overwhelming. We will show you how to turn that fear into a driving force of clarity, focus, stability, and confidence that eliminates the roller coaster of guilt-ridden second guessing and mistake making to get you off that hamster wheel for good.
2: Maximum Lawyer in Minimum Time is a step-by-step playbook that shows you how to identify what your firm needs and how to proactively get it at every stage of the game so you're prepped and excited for the inevitable growth that will follow. Name the lifestyle that you want and we'll show you how to become a Maximum Lawyer in Minimum Time. Find out more by going to
1: MaximumLawyer.com forward
2: slash course.
1: And then the question always becomes, well, what if I can't stop on the case because, you know, I prejudiced my client? Well, when you organize your case well, you just don't run into that nearly as much. Usually attorneys are not organizing their cases terribly well. But when you sit down and you organize and you give yourself enough time between hearings, usually you don't run into this. But if you do, then that's why you have a retainer at a sufficient amount to be able to cover. Okay. So it all kind of comes in. Okay. So rule number six, specialize. If you can... Uh, if you're not in a rural area where you have to do multiple practice areas, you should do one thing, and that is it, one practice area. Okay. If you're in a rural setting and you can't do that, you should do two things. Three things, I I just don't think you're going to be good any more than three and you're going to be lousy at everything. The reason that you specialize, you just do one thing, is because One, you're just going to make more money, and we'll talk about that in a second. But two, you don't have to reinvent the wheel all the time. You don't have to think about these things. You become really excellent at this one thing, and that is it, right? that's all you do. Like, I know divorce like brain surgeons know the brain, okay? I have absolutely no concept about a DUI. Like, I don't even know how to read a blood report. I'm totally ignorant. And I'm okay with that because I make bundles of money doing divorce, and that's all right. But on the money side of it, uh, you just command more money. And we know this because we can look at... Doctors. So a general practice doctor, a family doctor in the United States is going to make about $150,000 a year. A general surgeon, just kind of a mid-level specialist, is going to make about $500,000. And then a neurosurgeon is going to make like a million bucks a year. So do less, get paid more. Number seven, fire your worst client today. It's where the rubber meets the road, people. Now, when I said fire your worst client today, there was an image of a face in your head right? There always is. That is your worst client. That is who your brain hates. And it's telling you to fire that person, okay? You should definitely do that. Now, there's been a lot of talk about the Pareto principle. It's the 80-20 principle. So the idea that 80% of our outcomes come from 20% of our inputs. What that means when we talk about clients is that 80% of our problems come from about 20% of our uh, clients. Or maybe it's like 90-10, really doesn't matter, but You know, a vast minority of clients are going to create the vast majority of problems in our law firms. So just fire those people. Get rid of them. Okay. This is a self-perpetuating rule. So you're going to fire your worst person, and then you're going to fire your next worst person. And it's going to go on like this until you eventually fire all of your Fs, all of your Ds, and all of your Cs. You're going to be left with A and B clients. That is going to That one thing is going to increase your quality of life exponentially, okay? You're going to be able to focus on the clients who pay you, who you enjoy working with. You're going to make your paralegal happy, your team happy. Because if you think you hate that person that came up in your head, your paralegal hates that person 10x, right? Because he or she is on the front lines with that jerk every day, okay? This is just absolutely transformational. You're going to make way more money. You're going to enjoy it. You're going to have fewer clients when you do it. So fire your worst client today. And then uh, rule number eight, make yourself, your family, and your team your first priority. Clients are second. When you put clients first, well, let's do this. We always have heard the mantra that the client's always right. No, wrong, wrong. The client is not always right, and the client is not first, okay? So when you put the client first, that means that you do not sleep like you should. You don't eat like you should. You don't exercise like you should. You don't take vacations like you should. You don't make investments in your team, in yourself, in the time with your family like you should because you're always putting clients first, and you're not firing the bad ones. So They're just sucking the life out of you and not paying you, okay? That's what actually happens when you put your clients first. Now, when you put yourself, your family, and your team first, all that reverses. You're taking vacations, right? You're eating correctly, you're sleeping, you're investing the time and the money into your paralegal, into yourself. You can actually become a sustainable attorney at that point. You can become an excellent attorney Okay, and that's going to benefit you and it's going to benefit your clients. Because again, if you put the clients first, you are not going to be excellent. You're going to be burned. I know a lot of attorneys that just get out of the profession because they are burned. Okay? So they're not sustainable. They're not helping people in the long term. But you put them second, you take care of yourself, you take care of your team, you're actually going to do much better for your clients over the long term because you're going to be much, much more, you're much better, more excellent attorney as time goes on. So those are my rules. Any questions? I'm happy to, happy to answer anything. Yeah. Do
2: you require all your
1: clients to keep a credit card on file? On file. Yeah. So this is great. So when I say always have money in trust, what you should have is an an evergreen retainer. So say that your retainer is $5,000. What ideally you need to do, and I think you can do this in almost every state with the exception, maybe Ohio or something, is keep a credit card on file, and then you take out the money in the beginning of the month, and later on in the month, you, you build a credit card and you get it back up to $5,000, right? So that is absolutely how you should do it, yes. Do
2: you get pushback with clients to keep the card on file or is it part of the sales and make
1: process to They give me money, like, they, like I tell them to give me money. No, that's a, sales, that's a good question. It's a sales problem. Like if you get pushback on that, they don't understand the value of what you're doing for them and that's a sales problem you need to fix it. But no, I don't get pushback on it. What
2: tool are you using to keep the card on the file
1: Oh, we, we just have them physically fill out a form, and then we run everything through LawPay. Yeah, so LawPay will actually they, they will actually keep the information. So, and if anybody wants like my retainer and and that form, it, just email me. I'm happy to email it to everybody here. Yeah, Devin. So um, LawPay just launched card and then stuff. answer
2: um, that my question to you, Marco, is when you have these credit cards I just think that my clients can switch credit cards and I max out their cards.
1: Oh, I that Yeah, they never they never get declined. Like ours never get declined, so I, I just I just don't have that problem very often. Usually what happens is the card will it be expired and we'll have to get a new card or something. But again, like, you have a sufficient amount in trust, so if something like that does happen and it doesn't you know, doesn't re-up, then you just get out of the case. Yeah.
2: A client with receivable about $4,000 every something really since June burned through his retainer Yeah. I'm about to hit some high-intensity discovery. that's going to cost attention. How do I switch his mindset from his auto campaign 1000 bucks a week to get your shit under control How do I...
1: You tell them that. I mean, seriously, no. Just sit down with them and say, "Hey, look, this is what this this is what's going to be required, and I want to help you with that because I'm totally on your team. But if you don't want to do this my way, then go find somebody else and hear some names." Yeah.
2: So Marco, you know, I have, I have a, a decent size from different area of practice. With some of them. we're competitors in Orlando. Um, I agree with some of the things that you're saying. Mm-hmm. First of all. You don't need. It. We have an added to our firm we represent to get a Criminal client. You become a criminal if you don't pay us. Yeah. You know, there's a constitution, but it stops. If you stop paying. So yeah. I get it, because you know, like, and my wife, who's a lawyer. You know, a cool contract comes up for a house. We do pay. you don't do the job. Yeah. And just so you guys know, like, think about all the service providers. They will not come in for two hundred bucks if you don't pay them. We sit there with a criminal client, like, oh, you can't make your two hundred dollar payment, for a five hundred dollar payment. But, and I do, and what you said about you know, being the best, I just disagree with you, I used to scale our criminal practices. There's more people getting divorced in money than people are getting charged in money, but yeah. I do think if you're gonna make those investments in your team and investments in collecting money, and you actually have lawyers that are established and stay with you, I think you are right. I got over that middle-class mindset last year, and now we're like increasing our prices across the board. We're still scared though. Yeah. He's my competitor right down the block. He may be as expensive, as with more. In fact, he used to be more. And I'm like, why is he charging more? Yeah. And so, but it's still difficult in our practice. We, we struggle with it. I have a 96% collection rate for Cumulus. That's pretty good. But it's still that's yeah, great. Really, really hard. And I, I don't know if there's a secret sauce, you can tell us, but like, because I I I've, I'm all sold out. And, you know, I went through what you did, and we hold yeah. holding. Years ago, same kind of story, but we still struggle with that because there's not enough estate planning lawyers, family lawyers. You know this, right? Your husband, you guys got into the eye because of that. It's a small subset of people that have that tremendous amount of money. Yeah. And even if you say we'll be the top two guys in Orlando, uh, we have friends that do that. There's still not that many people that have that money. More people get divorced and get arrested. Unfortunately, they have a lot of money. And so I. Think I'm just trying to, like, we're listening to you. That's why we came here. Yeah, Your stuff is good at being that we're doing the right thing. We'd say don't chase money. Also, um, we're thinking about Florida. We stopped working, but the client can file more complaint, even if we organize our file. Systems have set up stuff. We worry about that all the time. You're not yeah. having an office conference with us. We're filing a motion to withdraw. We still represent them. So is there... The way you advise us on that, like, what do you motion to withdraw right away? You have an office conference next week, but you
1: didn't make the payment. Yeah, the way I tend to think through this, and every state's going to be different. You have to sit down and figure out how to do this. But the, the way we do it in Utah is we just kind of space these things out. So we give ourselves enough time that if they don't pay, we can actually get out. So we can always get out with 30 to 45 days notice to the court. Okay, But we can automatically get out in Utah unless there's a hearing coming up. But we always we always have that amount of time. We always give ourselves that amount of time. So you just have to like figure out your cases and then space them out sufficiently, and you're not gonna run into this problem nearly as much. But it's gonna be different in literally every state, and even within states, right? Some judges will let you out on criminal cases, some judges won't let you out, and you have to adjust based on that.
2: Well, I just wanna like I have a suggestion because I got out of like to keep that I got out for defense also because still is one of my biggest contenters. Mm-hmm. But one thing that we did a lot is we have to consign a motion to withdraw, uh, consent to motion withdrawal up front, and then if their yep. credit card was declined, it was filed, and then a judge is more likely to sign it because there in the pile. Good. Especially after having a kid. I got pretty savage about it. They'd be like, oh, i got to buy Christmas presents for my kid. And I'd be like, you know this great, I'm
1: not getting Christmas presents? My kid. Because
2: yeah. none of you guys are paying. Exactly. There's, and so I just
1: withdraw. Yeah. There's more than one way to skin a cat. You're going to have to figure it out in your state. I'm,
2: I'm really sorry. I, I do want to comment on your credit card form. Uh, we also store credit card information do store the last four digits. If mm-hmm. you are storing credit card information, especially in our company, we need to be sure that you're complying with the PCI standards. Law paid us A has a full course on that. Uh, fine law has a great article on it. Just literally Google PCI yeah. standards because keeping credit card information and especially the whole 16-digit can be considered as a and a violation of the a part of Education.
1: Yep. Good. Thanks, everyone. Really appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, content. go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.